Hi, and welcome to the What on Earth Can We Do podcast, the show where we chat with environmental leaders from across Alberta to figure out what on earth we can do to take action against climate change and protect our environment. I'm your host, Bree Hewitt, the Communications and Engagement Specialist at the Alberta Emerald Foundation. And today, we're chatting with Jennifer Mosi and Jennifer Janzen about how land use has changed Alberta's natural areas over the past 100 years, the impact it's had on the environment, and how we can reduce that impact as our population continues to grow. Before we chat with today's guests, let's start with a bit of a primer on land use. Land use is the term used to describe the human use of land. As obvious as that might sound, it represents the economic and cultural activities that are practiced at a given place. There are a lot of different ways that we use land, but the majority of uses can be broken down into six categories, including agricultural, residential, and industrial. In most cases, in order to use land in these different ways, we have to alter it from the state that it naturally was. For example, building homes and cities where grasslands used to be. While changing natural spaces to make way for land use is necessary for the growth and comfort of society, it has long-lasting effects on our environment and climate. But there are ways that we can adjust how we use land in order to reduce our environmental impact and continue to grow our cities. And that's where today's guests come in. Okay, so before we jump into my questions that I have for the both of you, would you mind sharing a bit about your background and how it relates to the topic we're chatting about today? Uh, sure. Uh, um, my name is Jana Vamosi. Um, I'm a plant biodiversity professor at the University of Calgary. Um, I teach students uh, about uh, key evolutionary transitions uh, in the history of plants and how they change the Earth's environment, and also how the changes in the environment can impact whether a uh, plant flourishes or goes extinct. And my name is Jennifer Johnson, and I am Executive Director of Alberta Tomorrow, an environmental education site. And um, I am a former high school teacher, I'm a former plant ecologist, and now with Alberta Tomorrow, I pretty much always think about how Alberta's natural areas are changing. Perfect. Well, it sounds like we have two fantastic people to talk about how our natural spaces are changing today. So I'm really excited to jump into this conversation and get started. So with that being said, my first question is, how do we know that the landscape of Alberta has changed? And, and maybe you can chat about what has caused that change. Well, from my perspective, I think the answer is pretty simple. How do we know? We have data. We have data, we know what the natural landscapes were like before they were changed by humans. Um, we have data over the last um, century that tells us how proportions of different landscape types have changed. And um, so we use that data and that data then leads us to the question of how or why has it changed? And I think the answer that, to that is pretty simple too, and it's human activity. Everything we do affects the air, the water, the wildlife. So when we engage in those activities on the landscape, we change the natural environment. Mm -hmm. And Jennifer, how drastic have those changes been? I know that Alberta Tomorrow has a really fantastic tool to, to show you um, kind of what it looks like. So are you able to 
um, verbally tell us um, how drastic it's been? I think it depends what area of the province you're in. Um, the area that I examine most of the time is the Bow River watershed. And although a portion of it is protected in national parks and some provincial parks, in general, much of that landscape has been changed. There are some watersheds, for example, the Vermilion River watershed, when you look at the simulation from the year 1910 to 2020, virtually all of the landscape has been changed. And in that particular case, it was mostly uh, native grassland and that's been changed into agriculture. So with Alberta tomorrow, then what we do is we look at the change that has taken place on the landscape and how has that change affected water quality and greenhouse gas emissions and wildlife habitat. So it depends where you're looking in the province um, and exactly what watersheds you're looking at. But in general, I think that our province, our province's natural landscapes are changed a lot more than people might realize. It's hard to visualize when you're driving down the highway, but when you actually look at the map overlays and look at the satellite imagery, then you really get an idea of how things have changed, how much things have changed. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And talking about, so we've talked about how it's changed from hundreds of years ago. Do you have any, is there any um, overlay with Alberta Tomorrow that can show you how the landscape might change in the future? Yes, we have two ways in Alberta tomorrow that can help us understand what might happen in the future. And keep in mind, these are modeling tools. So uh, it's not a crystal ball. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we make educated guesses, once again, based on the data that we have available to us. And in some circumstances, and what we're trying to incorporate more of is also some indigenous traditional um, knowledge. But uh, if we were to take a guess as to how a particular watershed and its landscape might change in the next 30 years, in our simulator, what we do is we just look at the change that has taken place in the last 30 years, and then we project it 30 years into the future. So that gives us an idea of how the landscape may change, and then also how social, economic, and environmental indicators might change because of that landscape change. So we can do that. The other thing that we can do in Alberta tomorrow is you can choose where on the satellite imagery you want the landscape to change. Then you can press the play button and the simulator will show you the result of that change in the future. So for example, if you don't like the change that you see in what we call the business as usual scenario, so assuming we just keep on doing things the way we've been doing them, um, if you don't like that future we'll get in 30 years, then you can play around and you can say, okay, if I change this area into something else, and then over here in the watershed, I change this to something else, and then simulate it over 30 years, you get an idea of what might result. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And can you give us some examples of some of the actions that that we take as individuals and a society that that change how the landscape is looking and, and how it looked maybe 100 years ago? Well, I guess one of the really obvious ones on the satellite imagery is when we change uh, native grassland to agricultural land. We go from an area of high biodiversity 
in terms of plants and animals to, um, in most cases, a monoculture. So one type of plant in the entire in the entire area. And then that has a drastic effect on um, species at risk. For example, it's no surprise that most of Alberta's species at risk, species at risk are found in the grassland natural region because the grassland natural region is one of those regions that has been changed the most. We have lost the most grassland. And so that is a direct impact um, agriculture also affects water quality in terms of how much phosphorus runoff there is going into bodies of water, which can lead to decrease in oxygen levels, eutrophication, it can lead to loss of fish species or fish kill-offs. But at the same time, don't get me wrong, I mean, obviously we need the food that is produced on those agricultural lands. So um, it's kind of a, a balancing act. Uh, we know we need the natural areas, we also know we need the economic um, benefits from from agriculture, so um, we kind of need to find a way to uh, get both. Another thought that just came to mind is I think the difference between how we change the land now and how we maybe have changed it, we did change it in the last hundred years, is we might not have known back then exactly the impact of changing the land. I think now we know the impact of changing the land. So then it's kind of a um, question of, do we preserve this natural area or do we allow it to be changed also? So we need to look at the benefits and the liabilities of that land use change. Mm -hmm. so it sounds very in interconnected, but it sounds like we have the right data to, to make the better choices, you know, that we didn't have that data before. And and knowledge is everything. And if we can inform ourselves and stop ourselves from making mistakes that we've made in the past, then, then we can move forward towards a better future. So I think a tool like Alberta Tomorrow is, is so important to, to know about and to use and to utilize. So I, I'm hopeful that people will, will hear about it listening right now and they'll hop on the simulator and give it a try and, and see exactly what we're talking about. And so that leads me in to my next question. Um, what is the impact of the change that's happening to our natural areas, the impact to the environment and us? Uh, sure. Uh, well, I'll just follow up on, on, on something Jennifer said. Um, I think it's important to recognize that the, the impacts, um, they're both positive and negative. Um, when, when humans change the landscape, it's often to make the land provide us with goods and services that we need at the time. So when we convert wetlands to agricultural land, for example, we get the immediate benefit of desired food products. And when we convert land to an urban environment, um, we get uh, a working civilization that provides us with a great deal of, of comfort and, and convenience. Um, and, and what we perhaps need a greater awareness of is those, those negative uh, long-term impacts. Um, and um, Jennifer uh, touched upon this as well, um, that these include changes to the, the vegetation. Um, and, and for me, when we're looking at the vegetation, we're, we're looking at a bunch of different species that inhabit uh, a particular uh, environment. And then when we do a land change uh, impact up, upon that site, we're, we're really changing the, the species composition. Um, and, and in some 
instances we're making some species become increasingly rare or, or even become extinct. Uh, and in, perhaps in a more readily meaningful way, um, th these changes to species identity uh, or abundance um, changes the, the ecosystem function that those species were, were actually providing for us. Um, and that can make the ecosystem um, less able to, to withstand severe weather events, um, potentially. Um, it, it also sort of reduces the number of participants um, in the carbon cycle such that um, we're not sequestering as, as much carbon um, as, as we were prior to that land use impact. And that can make all of those land use impacts perhaps be a little bit more expensive in ways that we, we didn't originally anticipate. And Donna mentioned um, changing the carbon cycle. You know, uh, we know trees absorb a huge amount of carbon. And in Alberta tomorrow, we refer to that as biotic carbon storage. So the amount of carbon being stored in living things, the trees, the grasses, the flowers, the soil. And when we change what type of vegetation is on the landscape, it does change the amount of carbon that is being stored. And that is a direct effect then on us because of climate change. And if there is less carbon being taken in by the plants and the trees, that means there is more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, which means that um, we have a, a more of an effect from climate change. So that's one example of um, how it directly affects us. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll add that there there is um, some evidence that that increased plant biodiversity um, as well is associated with with increased productivity. With productivity being a, a common metric um, that that that's used to to give an idea of how much they're converting carbon dioxide to to biomass. Um, and, and and those arguments are are some of what's behind some of the the nature based climate solutions that that people are are working on. Um, it, trees and and soil are are major players uh, in this dialogue, and um, they definitely have the the ability to to you know give us more balanced carbon budgets. Um, it's going to be pretty central to net zero policies in the future. Well, I was just thinking of another example. We can use water quality as another example. We know we can create great water treatment plants to clean up our water. But what if instead we protect, say, the upper reaches of the watershed so when the water gets to us in our urban environments, it's not as dirty, so then we don't have to clean it as much. Now, those are really simplistic terms, but um, basically, where do you want to put your effort? Do you want to put the effort into conserving the watershed upper reaches, which will have many other um, good benefits for the environment and for us or are we just going to let whatever happen in the upper reaches and then okay now that the water's not not clean and we need the water quality to be better okay we'll use a water treatment plant to to clean it up for us so you know that the the wetlands the upper reaches of the watershed they're providing an ecosystem service for us and uh that service, we don't we don't pay them for that service. I guess the payment is protecting the area. Um, so you have to you have to figure out what's important. So there's so there's obviously, you know, we've talked about 
how do we know the landscape has changed? What's causing that change? How it might change in the future, the impacts it's having on us and how it's connected to climate change. And, and obviously, like, like both of you were saying, we, we, we need the land, you know, it gives so much to us and it's, it's how we sustain our lives and continue to grow and, and adapt and, and live comfortably. So, so how do we balance that? How do we live comfortably uh, and continue to grow and innovate while also protecting our natural areas? So maybe we can talk about some broader things we can do maybe as society, um, put some ideas out there. And then maybe if any, there are things us as individuals can do to help. Well, I think Anything you can do that is going to lessen your impact on the environment is going to help, um, whether it be individuals or whether it be large companies or large industries. Um, and we know there are procedures that are better than others. We know that um, some of our personal behaviors, we know some of them are better than others. So it's a matter of I think changing expectations of what we want or need and um, and then following through with those activities that can lessen our impact. I mean, around your home, there are so many things that you can do, um, whether it be electrical conservation or um, um, heating conservation or what kind of car you drive whether you drive or not, um, all of those things are going to lessen your impact on the environment. And they, they do add up, um, whether you're, you know, wasting water or, um, conserving water in your home, depending on where you are in the province, you may be more or less concerned about water availability. Um, but there are definitely things that we can do as individuals and, like I said, there are things that industry can do also. And sometimes we do things in a certain way because that's the way we've always done them. Not that's the best way to do them, but we've always done them that way. So we just keep doing it. Humans don't like change, but I think we just need to make a, a conscious effort mm -hmm. to change our ways. And I firmly believe that that begins with, with education. If you don't know that, what you're doing is negatively affecting the environment. Some things are pretty obvious and other things aren't as obvious. If you don't know, then you're not going to change. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and with that, so obviously like we need the land. So what I'm taking away is we can still maybe not change the land. Maybe that's not what I want to say, but we can still use the land, but just use it in a different way to lessen our impact. That's you know, that that's the main message that I'm taking away from today is that kind of the the um, the main message that you would that you would both say. Exactly, because we still we need food to eat. We at this point in our our lives and economy, we still do need some oil and gas from the ground and we definitely need um, trees from the forestry industry. So, yeah, we still need those things. We can't just stop using them altogether. Um, so let's do it in a, in a better, more conscious way. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with that. Um, and, and maybe just be be asking uh, our, our leaders and our representatives um, for, for 
transparency um, in terms of the calculators of how much uh, how much greenhouse gas is getting emitted by a, a certain practice. Um, and and also on the on the other side of the balance, um, you know, how much are the the ecosystem services provided by our natural land? How much are they actually absorbing carbon dioxide? And if, I think if we had um, you know even more data um, to, for that balance sheet, um, that could make for all of us making more informed choices. Here's an here's an example that kind of hit me this weekend. So um, I was in San Francisco this weekend, and I know that air travel is not good for greenhouse gas emissions, <laughs> um, but I also feel like I make changes in other parts of my life to kind of offset that also, I think about it. But looking around at, and even driving from the airport to the, um, um, to the hotel, their houses are not as big as our houses. Their house, their yards are not as big as our yards. Their roads are not as wide as our roads. I feel like because we have so much land here in, in Alberta, we take it for granted. And we, we aren't really using what we need to use. We're using what we want to use. And it, it really did hit me this weekend um, probably half of the cars that we saw were either fully electric or hybrids. Um, so it's possible. <laughs> but I think we just need to really think about our actions and um, and what do we need or what do we want? I might make an argument that um, one action we can take is just getting to know the different components of, of our land. Um, can actually be sort of, we can gain from that. And, and there's a lot of mental health uh, benefits to just getting outside and knowing the species that we share space with. Um, so if, if someone's wanting a nice, pleasant form of action um, that, that can do some good, it's just uh, just get outside, um, even in your urban spaces and, and, and try to recognize some of the, the plants and animals around you. Um, it seems that very few people can can recognize even even common species um, common species uh, and know whether they're native or, or non-native species, whether whether they're indicators of a disturbed environment or whether they're indicators of you know a more natural space. Um, and, and there's lots of, of, of ways to do that. Um, and, and biodiversity scientists um, have even made made apps so you can go out with your smartphone. Um, and you can be uploading images of, of just whatever you see. And, and um, there's machine learning algorithms that'll actually ID it for you, or experts will just sort of come in in droves and all of a sudden, you know, the app will tell you what species you just saw. And there's been lots of good news stories where, where people have actually found like rare and endangered species and they had no idea that it was, they just took a picture on their smartphone and uploaded it. And 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 sometimes there's there's um you know a lot of benefits to be had of just sort of getting to know our land a little bit more. Um, it is definitely providing us with these free ecosystem services. Um, and and some species are doing it more than others. And there's still lots of knowledge gaps as far as which are the major players that are giving us those ecosystem services the best or the fastest. That's. I love that example of of such an easy way that somebody can take action is. And it's been a consistent theme throughout the podcast episodes I've been recording is just getting out into nature 
I was talking yesterday to two members of two different Blackfoot communities in Alberta. And we were talking about water and fish and climate change. And um, one of the suggestions was to acknowledge water and water bodies. So whenever you're walking past a water body, acknowledge it. And, you know, you know it's there. Thank it for being there. Thank it for um, providing that ecosystem service and providing us with life. And um, and just acknowledging it will go a long way to recognizing its importance and respecting it and wanting to protect it. So similar to just getting outside and enjoying nature, it's um, recognizing what is there. And Jana, yeah. you talked about that too. Yeah, being aware of your surroundings, I think, is is putting down the phone, taking your earbuds out, really just being in the moment and and observing what's around you because you'll find some really fantastic things that you know are beautiful to look at but also contribute to our lives and and you know the bigger ecosystem so yeah that that is a fantastic way to or the fantastic nugget to leave the the listeners with is yeah go outside and <laughs> enjoy and look and observe and appreciate mm-hmm. so with that Thank you both so much for for joining me today to talk about our natural spaces. And and I I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. No, thank you. It was lots of fun. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's such an important topic. Um, So thanks for spotlighting it on the podcast. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you'd like to learn more, check out the resources in the show notes. In our next episode, we'll be joined by Lori Koble, Director of Sustainability and Communications at the Alberta Beverage Container Recycling Corporation, to chat about what happens to your beverage containers after you take them to the depot. Make sure to click the follow button to get notified when we post that episode. The What on Earth Can We Do podcast is a program of the Alberta Emerald Foundation, a nonprofit charity that showcases, inspires, and empowers Alberta's environmental achievements. To learn more about the Alberta Emerald Foundation, head to our website, emeraldfoundation.ca, or follow us on social media, at Alberta Emerald. A big thank you to our sponsors, the City of Edmonton, the Government of Alberta, Syncrude, operated by Suncor, Alberta Beverage Container Recycling Corporation and Beverage Container Management Board, Capital Power, the City of Calgary, Dow Canada, and the Alberta Forest Products Association.